the Great British Draftman Show, an exclusive off-season series where we'll be taking a weekly look at the 2020 NFL Draft and how the Panthers might approach it. Uh, we are part of the Riot Network, which is powered by Ortho Carolina. That's all your Panthers podcasts you could possibly want, all in one place. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, please do be sure to rate, review, subscribe and, and all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts so that other Panthers fans can find and enjoy the show. Um, my name's Ollie and I'm one of the leaders of the Royal Ride here in the UK uh, and I'm your host right up to the draft which is just a few days away now. Um, as usual I'm joined by none other than our draft guru Mr Vincent Richardson. How are you doing this week sir? I, I'm doing all right thanks yeah you know coping with quarantine and its ongoing effects. How about you? Yeah, sort of counting down sort of the the marks on my cell wall that towards the draft really at the moment. <laughs> Just getting towards it. It's something that kind of might feel a bit like sport. Yes. Something that vaguely resembles sport. I, I found myself that you know obviously it was meant to be um, Masters weekend, which is something I've always a, a big fan of, and it just it just felt so wrong not having that over the Easter weekend. So um, I tried to sort of watch some stuff on game pass and, and try and just watch something that resembled sport but it's just not the same when you already know the result is it no no it's going to be interesting in sort of like two months time whether people are sort of climbing up the walls clucking waiting for for you know sport to start again or whether we kind of just find things that sort of fill the void in some sort of similar way but yeah it, it, it's it's not going to get better anytime soon i don't think unfortunately no no it certainly isn't so um let's crack on with um this week's episode then so obviously we've covered off all of the position groups um in the draft in previous episodes um obviously if you haven't listened to them yet please go do go and check them all out uh, where we take a much deeper dive into each of the positions um but this week we're going to start to bring all that together um and look at exploring what the panthers may end up actually doing in the draft so mm-hmm. Yeah, hold on to your hats. This could be an interesting one. Um, so let's get into it. Um, and we'll start with a bit of a reminder uh, of the picks that we're entering the draft with. Um, so we've got 7, 38, 69, uh, 113, 148, 152, 184, and 221. So yeah. got a few picks there. Uh, yeah. A decent first-round pick's always nice, but obviously generally means you haven't done particularly well the season before so it's a, it's a bittersweet thing um should we should we take this on a sort of day by day rather than round by round and kind of chunk it out that way yeah that makes sense i think let's let's look at day one then which is let's be honest it's always the most exciting one um we've got a number of options that that you sort of identified and, and, and where we're going to look we'll obviously talk about trading uh, trading up, trading down as well. Um, but who have you got as your sort of group of, of players that you can realistically see us taking round one? Yeah, so I think if, if the Panthers do stay at seven, there's really a, a fairly finite list of players that I think would not be shocking to the Panthers select. Um, so I think obviously if you look at the roster, it's fairly clear that sort of the biggest needs are sort of interior defensive line and cornerback. And while I don't think that you should just draft based off needs, I think the value could also potentially be such that the Panthers you know, prioritise those positions anyway. Um, so I think the sort of the five players I think are most likely to be sort of the, the, uh, the selection are Jeff Okuda, CJ Henderson, Javon Kinlaw, Derek Brown and Isaiah Simmons. Um, 
I think some of them are more or less likely than others for various reasons. Um, and obviously some of them are, maybe would be viewed as players who they could maybe trade down a few picks and select. But but I think, you know, Jeff Okuda is obviously the one who is least likely to be there at seven. Um, I think there has been some talk about the Panthers maybe moving, moving up for him. And I think, you know, we can talk about that a little bit um, in a second. But but I think if he is on the board, he's probably going to be the pick, if that makes sense. If, if the Panthers are there at seven still and he's still there at seven, I would have thought that's probably the pick. But I probably am not super optimistic about him still being there at seven. So I, I think in terms of who it's most likely to end up being, I'd have thought, I mean, I think CJ Henderson is really gaining some traction as, as, as an option in the top 10. And while, I mean, I think he, he maybe isn't as good as a player that in most years would go in the top 10, I don't think this is going to be a super strong top 10 draft class. And actually... I think he's probably one of the top 10 players in this draft, even if he's not of a standard that you'd expect a top 10 player to be. And and also fills a position needed at cornerback. Um, does have some issues in still with his run defense. It's, it's not great. Um, but but I think that would be the player that I think they're most likely to select. But obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Derek Brown. Javon Kinlaw maybe would be a bit of an outside bet um, at seven, but, but it's still in that sort of interior defensive line category. Um, I think Brown is good. I just I I think Henderson possibly is uh, a better fit with what the Panthers already have on their roster and kind of more how the NFL is going as well. Um, in that what he does well already is more important, more valuable than what Brown does well already. And a while while Brown has more room for continued growth and maybe possibly has a slightly higher ceiling, I, I think Henderson is probably the better prospect. Um, Simmons is obviously the wild card. Like, if I'm honest, I think he would be a bit of a reach in the top ten. I think he probably would be better value if they traded down. But I think after his testing at the combine, he's probably not going to be there if they traded down. So I wouldn't rule him out. But I think that would that would be reaching based on kind of testing rather than actually that being something that you look at his tape and go, yeah, that's a top ten pick. Okay, so I mean, you, you've mentioned trading down a, a couple of times there. Let's and, and trading up. Let, let's talk about trading. So, it, do you think that this is something that that is likely to happen, or is it literally a case of see how those first few picks go, and then and then you're making a call on it? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't trade down like preemptively. So, you know, I I wouldn't trade up, or I wouldn't trade up or down preemptively. Really, like you 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 shouldn't trade up for a pick not knowing who's going to be there and you shouldn't trade down for a pick not knowing who you might miss out on. So, I mean, obviously it does happen occasionally when it's pretty clear. Like if, if, if the Panthers had the third overall pick and it was pretty clear who the top two picks were going to be, it might be a bit different. But I think, I mean, I think trading up would be a bad idea um, just because partly the Panthers, you know, the whole idea of trading up generally is either there's an unmissable prospect, which I don't think in this draft there is, um or there's you know you're already a few needs away and you just need to you know players like the 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 ravens say who don't have a ton of needs or the saints could kind of bundle a few picks together and say right we only need four players we might as well get those four players rather than selecting seven players and actually end up not really using three of them anyway so i don't think the panthers are in that group and i also don't think that they're in a a situation where there's a can't miss prospect who who is so much better than everyone else so yeah i think trading up would be a bit of a stretch I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, get me wrong. Like, if Akuda falls to six and they give away a third-round pick to move from seventh to sixth, I wouldn't love that. But, but that's that's different. I think that there's there's a difference between that, say, and trying to make a, a significant move towards sort of three or four, for example. 
Um, in terms of trading down, I, I think, yeah, you have to wait and see who's on the board, because if Akuda does fall to seven, then you probably would ask for significantly more than, than if he doesn't, for example. Um, personally, I, I think if things don't fall in sort of an ideal way, I think trading down is, is often actually the, the right decision. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you can't go in and say, we're going to trade down and force trades when the value isn't there. You have to, you know, that, that it has to be for the right value. But this is a team with a lot of needs. This is a, a draft class that's meant to be very, you know, is very strong on day two and early day three. And if you could turn, you know, an example is a team like Miami, who've got lots of picks. And even though they're, they, you know, they've got a reasonable number of needs, they could they could well sort of group some of those picks together. And if you move, say, from seven to, to 18, say, and pick up a couple of day two picks or, or, or a day two pick and several day three picks or a future pick or whatever it is. I think those kind of moves, unless there's someone you love at seven, I think they generally make a lot of sense for a team with a lot of needs because because it's not like if the Panthers draft, say they draft CJ Henderson at seven, that doesn't solve their secondary issues. You know, they still only have like two viable starting cornerbacks and two viable starting safeties, which means they have no depth at all. And, and you know, you'd much rather say, OK, right, well, we'll trade down. You maybe take, um, depends on what the scheme is going to like exactly, but you say you'd take Christian Fulton or AJ Terrell at, at 18, who admittedly aren't the same caliber as, as, as Henderson, but they're probably not bad value there. Um, and then you also had two picks that you can then draft another safety and another cornerback. And actually, although you don't have the best possible player, you have a better secondary overall for having made that trade. So I, I think unless there's someone who is just un, unmissably good at seven, I think they have to strongly entertain the idea of moving back. So, I mean, you've mentioned Miami there who have pretty much half the picks in, <laughs> in this year's draft. Um, for a team that is rebuilding, uh, retooling, like we are at the moment or, or supposedly are um do you have what do you think of that as a strategy to sort of take a couple of years of just trading down trading away and, and just you know pick a year a couple of years time where you just clean the board up and, and just dominate draft um i mean there are obviously downsides to that so the most obvious one is if you draft like 15 players and they all work out there is no way when they all hit free agency you're going to resign the majority of them so th- there is some benefit to like balancing out the number of players you take in each draft because that way you have like a like you don't end up with these years where you suddenly have to replace 40 people um so so you know you, i think the clustering huge numbers of picks in one draft does have some downside if you you know but again it's a downside that's four years down the road and involves you having been quite good for four years so it's not the worst downside you could encounter um what i do think is 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 certainly a viable strategy is the idea of not not feeling the need to rush things like you know, when, when some teams have a ticking clock, like if you've, you know, if you're the Packers and you've got Aaron Rodgers, sensibly, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers for maybe five more years. You know, obviously the numbers are vague, but, you know, he's not going to live forever and he's not going to play forever, more importantly. Um, and and so you have to go like, OK, we've got these years. We have to have a competing team probably, you know, ASAP and it has to compete for five years. And actually, if we come away with, over, with two Super Bowls in five years and then are terrible for five years, we can live with that. So that's obviously a bit different. But but if you're like a team of the Panthers who really, I mean, they obviously they've just given McCaffrey a new contract, but but there aren't there aren't loads of pieces that they've kind of got a ticking clock on. They can you can take your time and make sure you do it properly, and you aren't reaching for players, and you're building a depth of talent that 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 can sustain a winning culture. Which is you know, obviously the Patriots have benefited from Brady signing very team friendly deals, but but they haven't been super aggressive in the draft. They've just kind of taken what's been there, been quite sensible and pragmatic and just continue to have a depth of talent that they can then you know 
add to with the occasional free agency. So I, I, I think there's certainly a, a, an argument for being more cautious in the draft, but more um, taking a, a, a less aggressive but, but more secure strategy. Okay, so you you'd say that trading down is probably something that we should keep an eye on and, and it's, it's, it's a fairly viable option for us then. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um let's start talking about picks then. Um, I don't know how you want to do this. If you want to do uh, work on the assumption that, that we will trade down, um, but I'm going to push you for who you think we're taking first round. Um, and, and come up with a name for us. So so what are you thinking we do with our seventh pick? So I don't know whether they'd do it at seven or whether they'd maybe look to move down a few picks, but I, I do think CJ Henderson is probably the most likely option. I know, I know there's a picture of Marty staring at Derek Brown like he's his London lost son, but I, I, I think Henderson is probably the, the favourite right now, I would say. Cool. OK, well, before we move on from day one, what yeah. I would just like to know is if there's um, any, and I imagine there probably are, uh, any names that you've seen in the mix for day one that you just think are, you know, way overrated, likely to flop, you know, just you've got them way, way lower than, than the NFL team, team seem to um, cover off who they are and, uh, and why you think they're overrated. Yeah, so I think the, the easy one, and this happens almost every year, is there are going to be people at, at quarterback who get taken because they're quarterbacks and they have some upside. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of the things where, like Mahomes is the clear example of it working out, but th- there are lots of examples of it not working out. Um, so I, for me, uh, Love, Jordan Love from Utah State, he, he would be a real reach in the first round. Um as would I mean I don't know if Jacob Eason is going to go in the first round, but if he does, then then that would be an extraordinary reach. Um, Justin Herbert is kind of one of those ones where like I think he's he he would be less of a reach than than Love and Eason, but the only reason why he's going in the first round is because he's a quarterback basically. Um, certainly if he goes in the top ten, that's 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 too high. That's you know it's not something that can't pay off, but that's a serious gamble. Um, there are then like some other ones that are. I'm quite often it's either players who have amazing athletic testing numbers. So like, I think Isaiah Simmons is a first round pick in this draft, but I think he's probably going to go too high in the first round because of his testing numbers. Uh, Mims, um, the Baylor wide receiver is another guy whose testing numbers, I think are far more impressive than his tape. And again, Justin Jefferson is a little bit like this as well, but maybe not quite as extreme where they're not bad players, but they're going to get overdrafted compared to their value because their testing numbers are better than their tape suggests. Um, and you might get similar. I, th- I think, you know, Ruggs as well from Alabama is likely to go higher than I would take him. And again, not a bad receiver. I think he, I, you know, I, I would probably take him towards the back of the first round, maybe early second. But if he goes top 15, say, I think that's just because people are, are reaching on athletic measurables. The other position where I think this is likely to happen a fair amount is a offensive tackle. Um, and so, like, there are some very good offensive tackles in this draft, but they're talking about, like, maybe seven going in the first round. And for me, that's... Um, quite hard to justify certainly like you know there there's a big gap for me between the top three and the rest and so i think you know tristan worth jedrick wills and and josh jones you know are are definitely first round picks in this draft for me um but mecky beckton is a significant risk as is um jackson the the um uh usc tackle both of them have the talent to be good players but again 
that their tape is not that of someone you take in the first round. Their tape is taking someone you take on day two, maybe early day three, and and hope to develop. And I think if they're both thrown into starting roles early, they could really struggle um, in places. Uh, the sort of the other end of that is Andrew Thomas, uh, the Georgia tackle, who I think is pretty good, but I think also is not as good as his draft stock seems to suggest, and is probably more more limited than I think uh, he's currently being talked about. And again, like if he goes in the back end of the first round, it's higher than I would take him, but I could kind of understand that. But if he's going top 10, top 15, I think that's a, that's quite hard to justify based on tape. So quite a few then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's also, I think it's also worth bearing in mind, like most picks don't work out. So the fact that someone gets drafted higher than they should do in the first round is not surprising because there probably aren't enough people who are good enough to merit being drafted in the first round based on like the idea of what a first round pick looks like. So there are fewer players who will have great NFL careers than there will be like top 15 like picks. So so there will be people taking the top 15 who will not have top 15 careers. It happens every year. It's basically just a, a result of the numbers. So there being players who don't work out in the first or second round is just something that is mathematically almost certain to happen because there aren't there certainly aren't 64 good players in every draft class. So so the the idea that, that, that there are going to be players who who bust is just pretty much an inevitability, really. So it's almost safer to predict people will flop than, than succeed. I, I think I, I, I'm, it's on the right report, so please go check it out. But I wrote a piece um, a few weeks ago looking at the the numbers of like actually like the hit rates for draft picks and it's basically 50 50 in the first round and less than that every round afterwards so like m- the majority of draft players are players drafted in every round don't work out wow that's, that's quite quite scary when you think about it really especially if you're a you know a college prospect coming out and you think you know once you get to the draft that's it you've you've made it but in reality there's a, there's a very good chance that you won't. In fact, there's more chance that you won't than you will, even if you get drafted. But I mean, it's kind of it, it's sort of an inevitability of the numbers if you if you think about it. So like, there's 32 NFL teams, each of whom have got sort of you know it's 55 players now, but that's kind of like 1,700 players in the NFL roughly, very roughly. Um, and and there's like 260 people drafted each year plus UDFAs. There's probably 400 people rookies in training camp every year. That means like in, unless the NFL career is four years for everybody for every player who makes it to year 10 there's going to be loads who don't make it to year two so like i mean the 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 number of players drafted versus the size of the league is so big that it's just it's never going to be this this thing where the majority of them work out and and you know it doesn't take a huge amount of investigation to work out that the majority of players probably aren't going to work out cool okay well moving on from on on that optimistic note yeah, <laughs> it was like the world's falling apart at the moment and we can't even have this as a bit of hope or expectation. Um, let's move on from the, the 50-50 success rate on to perhaps the, uh, the the lower chance of success in, in day two then. Yeah. Um, we Obviously, we've already covered off trading up and trading down um, in day one. Um, we, we obviously caught up before we started recording and, and you spoke to me about why you're not going to talk about trading up, trading down so much on day two and, and especially on day three. Do you want to cover that off? Because I found that quite an interesting point. Yeah, no. So I, I think it's one of those things where where if you look at like the mock drafts now, the top 10, there's probably some degree of agreement. And so so t- and, and teams think roughly in this way as well, as far as I can tell, that, that there is 
there's broad consensus on who the top 10 prospects are. You know, it will be different between teams, but it's not wildly different. And the same is true of the top 20, the top 30. But by the time you get to the top 40, the top 50, the top 60, the top 200, boards are just wildly different. And so it's very, very hard to get a sense of who will still be available at any point really beyond the end of the first round, certainly beyond the end of the, the second round. It's really, you know, if you'd have said going into the draft last year that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and um, Chase Winovich would have been available come the midway through the third round, that, you know, it would have been very difficult to predict that that was going to happen before the draft started, but that's just how things fell. So there's always surprises because it just takes a player to be much higher on one person's board for them to go much higher than everyone expects. So any trade, trades obviously will happen on day two and day three, but they're mostly about focused around where players are on individual teams board at that point, rather than sort of a preemptive strategy thing. So if one team is, you know, fine, you know, like the Panthers did last year, Greg Little was there. They didn't expect Greg Little to be there and they thought they had to make sure they got him. So they moved up for him. The, you know, before the draft started, you couldn't have predicted that Greg, Greg Little would still be there at that point, And you certainly couldn't have predicted what you would have been able to get for him because you don't know who else is going to be there and all that kind of thing. So like the, the actual, predictability of draft trades drops significantly the, the longer the draft goes on in terms of compared to when the draft starts. So, you know, if, if we had this conversation between day one and day two, you could maybe have a more informed decision. But but right now it's so hard to know who will be be left on day two with any degree of accuracy to then start predicting who would be interested in trading up and what they'd give up for that. It's, it's very, very difficult to tell. OK, so with too many variables, then let's focus on what we think. Um, the what position sorry we think the Panthers are going to draft at so you've identified sort of the rough areas to look at are probably going to be around wide receiver uh, offensive line um, interior defensive line cornerback and safety and um, just want to pull you up on wide receiver quickly because looking at the roster that's an area we've got quite a few <laughs> it's basically the only area that we've, we've seem to have decent coverage uh, across the roster um, so just want to cover off why you think we, we could be looking at wide receivers so early on in the draft when, when we've already got quite a few in play. So I think there's kind of two bits to this. So I think the first one is this is a very strong wide receiver class. And while I think that maybe might not be quite as significant, I think I think the second round would maybe be, be, be a bit high for that. But if you get to the third round and players who you'd normally view as top 40 picks are there at 70, say, or 69 when the Panthers pick, um, it will, you know, the value for receiver could be much better than the value for other positions. And although the Panthers don't have a need at receiver, one under Joe Brady they're expected to use a lot more sort of multiple receiver sets. So you're good, you know, the fact that a fourth receiver, a fourth receiver on some teams is basically a backup, whereas I think a fourth receiver on the Panthers next year could be like a significant rotation piece. But you also have the fact that you know, Curtis Samuel is going into the final year of his contract, and while he might come back, you can't guarantee that. You know, Robbie Anderson's only on a two-year deal. DJ Moore has got three years left, so I think he's probably a, a pretty firm piece of the offense moving forwards. But although the Panthers do have sort of three legitimate receivers, one of them is in the final year of his contract and one of them has only got two years left. Uh, and so if, if, if you have a receiver who, I mean, obviously, I think the receiver is probably the least likely of those those five position groups you talked about. But I think if you have a receiver who is one good value from a board point of view, is a good fit with the other receivers so you know you know someone who is a sort of a complementary piece to the other receivers you have and you know other positions of need haven't fallen you know if you say compared to interior defensive line like you know i think interior defensive line is a much bigger need for the panthers but i think the receiver class is so much stronger than the interior defensive line that you'd much rather they took 
uh, a receiver who was good value than just re- reached on a on a defensive linesman when ultimately the Panthers aren't trying to be as good as possible in 2020. Like this is not a team that's meant to be competing next year. So filling specific needs with urgency is not a priority. It's more about getting the best possible players. And actually, you do much better to to add a very good receiver in the third round than you would do to reach on a defensive linesman who, frankly, is not really worth a third round pick, but you think you need to draft a defensive linesman. Okay, so looking at the picks we've got, obviously we've got 38 and 69. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about five potential positions that you think we should be you know, in and around. Yeah. Um, where do you see us heading in terms of personnel for this then? So I think some of it will obviously depend on what happens in the first round. So if they draft in the, if they draft a corner or an interior defensive lineman in the first round, I think that then decreases the probability of them doing it quite significantly in the second and third. I mean, obviously the Panthers have gone back to back at positions before, uh, most notably sort of cornerback in in, in uh, 2016. But but yeah, I think it's probably unlikely that they draft cornerback first round, cornerback second round. Say, um, I do also think if they don't go cornerback in the first round, I'm not totally sure the value would then be there in the second round i think particularly if there's a run on corners late in the first which is what quite a lot of people are predicting i think you might find that that that's something that unless somebody falls it's going to be harder to justify spending a a day two pick so i think if you're if you're going to spend part of the reason why i think the panthers might go cornerback or defensive line um in the first round is that those are not going to be particularly good position groups on day two and so you know the, the the increase in value is very significant there so i think Second round, I think offensive line is maybe an option, but I also think safety is a really strong option in the second round. I think this is quite a good safety class, although there aren't. Although I'm not sure if there's any safety I would love in the top sort of 15 picks. Say, you know, if guys like Antoine Winfield are there in in, in the second round, maybe Xavier McKinney or or uh, Ashton Davis or Jeremy Chin maybe is a bit lower rated than that. But but if you have one of those guys falling to the second round, certainly to the third round, I think that would be really good value there. So I, I you know. I think safety is probably the most likely option in the second round, but again, it's it's hard to tell depending on how it falls and stuff. But 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 yeah, I, I think safety and day two looks very good, and offensive line, depending on exactly what you want to do. But if Josh Jones is there in the, in the second, I think that would be a great option. And then as you get towards the third round, guys like Ezra Cleveland maybe, or uh, Matt Pert possibly, or if you're looking interior, you've then got the likes of uh, Beardage or maybe Hennessy at centre. Although I think he maybe be a little bit rich. Yeah, Hennessy would probably be okay at 69. But 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 you know there's kind of more options. I think safety and offensive line have maybe got more options that that make sense. So I think that would be where I'd I'd navigate. You know I'd hedge towards those if, if if I was trying to predict day two picks. Okay, so let's. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. I'm going to push you for a pick on these and and say start at 38. Who are you thinking we're going to go for? Uh, I think Antoine Wormfield would make a lot of sense. So yeah, Antoine Winfield Jr., safety from Minnesota, I think would be my pick at 38. 69 is harder. Um, I think partly just because it's really unclear who might fall that far. Um, I think Tyler Beardage might be a, a, an option there, possibly. So yeah, I, I, if in my very guessy way, I would say Winfield at 38 and Beardage at 69. Cool. Well, before we go on to day three um we're obviously facing a draft with a bit of a difference this year yeah uh, it's, it's going to be done remotely and virtually and um the nfl have teamed up with ea to do sort of some 
virtual draft ceremony, which sounds interesting. Um, one word for it, anyway. Yeah, yes, uh, yes. I've also seen um, that a lot of the communication is going to be done via um, Microsoft Teams, which for anybody listening who's ever used Teams knows this is going to be an absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> and I personally cannot wait for it. <laughs> I would pay good money to be able to just listen in on that call. Um, I, I can just imagine all all 32 teams sort of in there and someone's late and someone's not on mute and there's a dog barking and <laughs> people asking the Browns to mute, go on mute because we can hear their bloody dog or something like that. Um, I, I, I really hope we get to see some of that because I think it would be genuinely fascinating. Um, what I'd like to talk about rather than the format of it so per se is actually in your opinion and based on what you know about the drafting process, how do you think this could actually affect the picks? Because are, are teams going to sort of panic more? Are they going to have more time? Are they going to have less time? You know, is, you know, obviously there could be technical difficulties as well, which which could make a difference to the way the picks go. Um, so, so what's your thoughts on that? Um, if I'm honest, I, I think for for good teams, it shouldn't really change a huge amount. I mean, I think it will be quite interesting when you get to to day two and three. That's when it might be. I mean it might make trading quite difficult because no, normally you're sitting in a room and someone sort of saying, you know, puts that, you know, you've got one person who's got, you know, several people on the phone say you haven't got the GM just sitting there constantly on his mobile. You know, you've got, you, it, it's much harder to organize it when you haven't got everyone in the room and you can't do nonverbal communication. When you have to wait for someone to get off the phone to explain what they're being told, that's much more difficult than, than, than otherwise. And obviously you can do sort of, you know, there are ways you can get around with the technology to a certain extent, but I think it will maybe make trading, a bit more difficult certainly fielding multiple trade calls at once and dealing with multiple trade options will become increasingly difficult i i don't know whether that will make trades more likely or less likely i think it's probably going to be that that there may be a bit less negotiation on trades and stuff it might just be you know teams make an offer and it's either accepted or rejected just because the negotiation will be very difficult to do um remotely because you know if if a team has to have a conference on what they're going to do it's it's quite hard to do that i I do think it probably shouldn't affect who teams actually pick that much. I mean, generally, you should have your board set. It should all, you know, you should know who you want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, the only way I think it will cause problems is if there are some massive surprises early on and teams are dealing with draft broads that they didn't really expect to be dealing with, um, then it could create some issues. But but I think it, it's, yeah, it, it shouldn't be an insurmountable problem. I think it will probably mean that that, the decision making is focused more on the on the top decision makers. So normally you've got like, you know, it depends by team, obviously, but normally you've got like the scouts in the room and stuff and all that kind of thing. And what I don't think the scouts will be ignored in this situation. If you've got 10 minutes and you're having to do it sort of via teams or, or, or like a, a Skype call, it's going to make it harder for everyone to have their voice heard. So it is going to have to be much more kind of um, discreet. You know, this is a person we've got top of our board. Does anyone have any objections to us taking it? If you do say something otherwise this is what we're going to do kind of thing i think i think it will require stronger leadership from the top and then sort of any dissenting voices then have to make their case rather than it being like a discussion of who do you take because i just don't think there'll be time or the structure to do that so i think it might it's one of the things where it might change a lot of like how teams go about doing it but that might not necessarily become evident if you don't see any of that stuff because it's not it's not stuff you would see anyway and you just see the result happening and it just kind of it looks like a team has made a pick and the team would normally make a pick but I think it will be a big 
test a team's competence, if that makes sense. Do you think there'd have been any merit in extending how long each team got on a pick because of the difficulties they might face? Um, I I I don't know. I think maybe maybe as you go through the draft. So I think I can't remember what the time limits are as you go down. I think it's like ten five and three or something. Or I can't remember exactly the exact splits. But I think it might make sense when you get to like day three to maybe give them a little bit more time. But the issue is then the draft lasts for sixteen weeks. Um, but but yeah, I mean I mean ultimately we need something to fill the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But 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 it is one of those things where you know teams have had months to think about this, and even if you're picking 25th, your draft board should be well set enough that you know who you're going to take when you get on the pick. You can talk about it beforehand. I think that the o- the only real caveat to any of this is technical difficulties, and I think there is a chance that the draft could you know I think it's a small chance, but you know a significant technical difficulty could completely derail the entire thing. Um, but you've got to hope the nfl is competent enough to have set it up so that that isn't going to happen oh dear <laughs> it was all going to so well until you said the nfl had to be competent um, <laughs> yeah so i mean question but I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this um what happens if a team does miss its pick do they just get skipped and it goes on to the next team then yeah i think so i don't know whether they then get a pick after that or whether, whether they get any compensation at all but i don't yeah so i don't know whether it's that they lose their, their position and get a pick just shifted by one i can't remember i know the vikings did it once i think i can't remember exactly what happened it was sort of before i was sort of actively following the nfl so it, it yeah i can't remember exactly what happened but it, it you do definitely not get your pick at the time so it does move to the next team but i don't know if it then moves back to you or whether it just you lose your pick and it didn't it acts as if it didn't happen yeah, they, they, they don't sort of auto-pick for you and just select a random player. <laughs> it's not fantasy. You no. don't just go to auto-draft. Um, Fun as I mean, that would be. Sorry? Fun as that would be. Yeah. <laughs> I selected a punter. Um, <laughs> what, um, what odds do you reckon then on, on a team coming out afterwards and saying they tried to make a pick or they had technical difficulties and, and were rushed into a pick or something like that? Oh, I'm, I'm sure that will be used as an excuse. Maybe not like immediately, because that's generally not a, a great thing to do, to just slag off a player you've just drafted by saying it was a mistake. <laughs> we clicked the wrong button on Teams and we yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think I, there, there is a story that when the, um, I think it was the Falcons who drafted uh, Brett Favre, they, 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 I think it was a quarterback coach told him that they drafted the wrong player by mistake. They wanted someone else. Um they got him confused with someone else. So I think I think it you know it does happen occasionally that the teams are just like, I'm sorry, we didn't mean to draft you. We thought you were someone else. Um, but <laughs> less now than in the nineties, hopefully. Um, but yeah, no, I I think maybe in hindsight it's something that teams start rationalising. Like if a GM gets fired, so like say purely hypothetically, Dave Gettleman completely screws up the draft and is fired. I don't think it would be unreasonable. I don't, I don't know whether I don't mean Jay Jackman personally, but just a GM who is probably on the hot seat anyway. Whether it's used as like a post-rationalisation of like, well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't mean to do this, so you know, I know I understand I got fired because of it, but you know, it, yeah, if a team screws up the draft and fires the GM, I can see the GM down the road using it as like a well. There were technical difficulties and it was it was very difficult and stuff, and we couldn't really work out what was going on, so that's why we drafted a punter at eighth overall kind of thing. But um, basically, yeah, just. <laughs> I think I think I mean I think there's also the bit where like I do think this is worth pointing out like some teams are probably in significant advantages compared to others in terms of just their their core like technological competence and teams that have kind of put off being forward thinking in terms of technology and that kind of stuff are probably at a pretty poor position right now. There's also the fact that you know 
a lot of NFL scouts are not exactly, you know, young, sprightly individuals who've been working with computers their entire lives. And that's not their fault, of course. But if you've got a a scouting department filled with 30-year-olds, you're probably feeling much more confident than if you've got a load of sort of 65-year-olds as your regional scouts who all kind of are now struggling to use their laptops and keep calling in their kids to to reset their routers kind of thing. So it's... I do think there are going to be like some teams that are in better positions than others, basically just off luck. You know what 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 age your 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 employees are and, and how familiar they are with technology is is probably going to have quite a significant impact. Yeah, it, it feels like they're probably spending more time at the moment talking about sort of backup plans. You know, if if such and such you know goes offline, then you know this person needs to take over. You know, if everyone goes offline, then this is the pick we need to make. You know, that kind of thing. Just yeah. building contingencies because, yeah, it, it could be a disaster. You know, if, if the if the main guy's, you know, router falls over or something in in, in his house, then yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> that could completely mean, derail your draft. I mean, phones do still exist, and whilst that obviously has limitations as well, I think at some point you you know, you just pick up the phone and say, right, pick Bob. Um, you know, I, I know, like, I, I think Dave Gettleman said in the past that what they used to do, and I think a lot of teams do, is, like, when they first get on the clock, they basically say to the person, because, you know, there's normally physically someone in the draft room, um, wherever it is, Las Vegas or wherever, and they basically say, right, write down this name, and if we don't tell you another name, hand that name in. So that, you know, if, if the phones go down or the, or, or the internet crashes or whatever, at least you make sure you've got the person who you would have taken if you had to pick right away anyway. So how they deal with that kind of thing like you know if if you're talking you know the issue will be is if you're nine minutes into your clock and then your internet goes down because if it goes down in minute one you've got enough time to phone up the nfl and say right we're having these issues this is who we're thinking of doing give us a second we're just trying to work it out but if you're like one minute from having to make your pick and you're then having to frantically phone the nfl up saying like shit 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 everything's gone wrong apologies for the the language used um you know it, 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 it that's then very different you know it, it's very it's very different sort of doing it calmly and organized and just frantically running around phoning people trying to get your pick in yeah either way i think it's going to be a fascinating evening not just because of the draft but because of the, the way in which it's going to go and yeah you know you want it to go well but i'm, I'm kind of you know sort of strangely curious to see it completely crash down and see how they go with it it, <laughs> it, it, it could it, almost it. be more entertaining it will be quite funny if it, it, it there, there will invariably be something that happens that's that's, that's unplanned, but it will be interesting to see quite the scale of the the mess that is created. Yeah, I'd say the odds are pretty good on uh, EA playing the wrong player or something <laughs> walking I, out on the stage. I, I think the odds are very good that you can't recognise the player based on their EA character. I think that is possibly more more likely to happen. <laughs> cool. Okay, well let's let's get on to day three then. Um, you know, strategy here is, is, you know, presumably best player available. Uh, and it's not so much about addressing needs, but, but trying to get value. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's no point drafting a player who, you know, doesn't really add anything to your team in terms of, you know, a player can be good. But if there's just no way they're going to see the field, then it doesn't really matter how good they are. But I, I yeah, it, it, there's also you can't. You know, I was thinking about you can't predict day two. You very definitely can't predict day three. There's almost sort of no real kind of guarantee that any one player will be there or won't be there so you, you just have to look at who's on the board when you pick if you know and the other thing that happens is you then start getting teams moving up sort of picks here and there because you know if you think one player's fallen and you and you know, well beyond where you would be happy taking them then you just you know 
if you have to give up a sixth to move from 148 to 147, but that guarantees you get a player you would have taken in the second round, then who cares kind of thing. So, yeah, the the, the, the whole trade basis then just becomes, it's all, when it comes to day three, it, all of the trades will be based on individual players rather than anything else. It, and and you, you're kind of the, the strategy is all about, you know, working out who you think the handful of good players are from the masses who are left and sort of prioritizing, making sure you get them. So yeah, no, I don't think the Panthers would prioritize running back, even if a really good one fell to to round four, but, but you know, if, if Deandre Swift was there in the fourth round, you'd have to work pretty hard to not say he was the best player left on the board in most likelihood. So, so it, you know, it's very much about the players rather than any positional need or anything like that. Okay, so we've got a good handful of, of picks um, on day three. Then we've got um, 113, 148, 152, 184, and 221. Um, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not going to push you for <laughs> for picks on each, um, as I have done on, on days one and two, because I think if we just discussed it'd be fairly pointless doing so, and, and you're just setting yourself up for a fall. Although if you get a couple right, you're a hero. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's. Let's talk position set. Um, are there, you know, assuming obviously your your first uh, three picks are right, where do you think we are going to start looking in, in a bit more detail? Is it still going to be cornerback and safety and looking at that secondary, or uh, are we going to start looking across the lines as well? So I think I think cornerback will depend a little bit. Cornerback maybe has a bit more more depth to it. I think there's there's a couple of guys who I think would be interesting day three options in Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh, who's probably more of like a, a fourth or fifth round option, and Thakarius Keys, who's more of like a sixth or seventh round option. Um, Jackson is kind of well-rounded, but lacking in like top tier upside. So he'd be like a good second or third cornerback kind of thing, like, like a Ross Cockrell uh, effectively type type player. Um, whereas Keys is more developmental. So I don't think he'd be able to contribute much right away, but has more of an upside that you can maybe reach with a year or two's kind of development. Um, Safety, I think, will depend a lot on if there's someone left. I think the safety draft is quite strong, but there's also just like a finite number of good players. Like it, it's it's not as deep as say the quarterback draft is. Um, so I wouldn't guarantee that there's any kind of interesting options still left. Maybe like a Geno Stone might be an option. Like if the Panthers haven't addressed it particularly, like I think Winfield would negate them taking a, a, a safety sort of in the fourth or fifth round for the most part. But but obviously if someone falls who you weren't expecting, I think that could be a, be an option. Um, I, but I think, yeah, it's just I, I think the better way to think about it potentially is just to look at the sort of the the players who are expected to currently go on day three, who you think probably should go higher than that, um, which, given this class, is going to probably mean wide receiver. And, you know, if the Panthers haven't taken a receiver to this point, if players like Brian Edwards are there in the fourth, I think you take him in a heartbeat. I mean, I think he's an, he's an excellent player. I take, you know, I, if he if he went in the second round, I think that would probably still be good value there. So if he's still there in the fourth, I think that would be be so hard to pass on. And then you're getting guys like um, James Lynch, the Baylor sort of defensive linesman. You know, I talked about the defensive line class not being super strong, but like Lynch is someone who maybe you wouldn't want to take in the second round. Would probably be just about okay in the third, but when you get to the fourth round, he's then very good value and also has the obviously link to the Baylor coaches on the on on the roster. Um, the other guy is is Logan Wilson, the safety, uh, the safety, uh, the linebacker who converted from safety at Wyoming. He would be a an excellent pick in the fourth round say again most of these players i'm talking about um are players who would be sort of more fourth round options so guys who who i think might well go at the end of day two or even mid day two but 
also have some chance of falling to day three and would be good value there. So, you know, the Panthers have got their fourth round pick. I think if any of sort of Brian Edwards, James Lynch, Logan Wilson, if any of them are still there, then I think that's kind of a very easy, should be a very easy pick to make. I think you'd be very happy with those. I think sort of as the draft goes on, you're then looking at players who either have, I mean, generally, unless someone, if by some it's sort of fifth rounds, the Panthers have got sort of four, you know, two fifth rounders, a sixth and a seventh. The, the players you're looking at, unless someone has fallen remarkably, you're then looking at players who you can either develop or who can be depth options, but probably don't have the, the upside. So, you know, depending on the positions, you know, that, that can look quite different, you know, so you can also have the, like, the rotation type players, but if you're looking for sort of developmental options, at guard, sort of interior offensive line, the Panthers have a need, someone like Shane Lemieux, if he's still there in the fifth, that would be, be good, really good value for me. Um, Denny Pinter maybe a bit later, but as sort of a potential sort of uh, centre uh, developmental center he would be quite interesting um Derek Tushka the North Dakota State edge rusher I think again if you're sort of if he's there in sort of the fifth or the sixth he's a developmental option who can maybe come as a rotational piece and I mean ultimately it, it's just going to be a matter of who's still left so there are there are obviously lots of names who you, you know, could keep going through for a while talk about players who would be quite interesting at certain points but it, it's it's going to be a matter of who's left and at what point are they left basically okay so earlier on I asked you about some um overrated players and, and you know people that everyone's talking about in in day one um but you, you don't quite see it um what about the flip side of the coin is, is there some names that you, you think are should be way higher up the list um but are talked about as you know bog standard day three or even udfas yeah okay so wide receiver i think there are a couple i think brian edwards i've already mentioned i think he if I mean, he's not UDFA, don't be wrong, but he could well fall to early day three, and that would be exceptional value in my in my view. I think he's probably one of the one of the top receivers in the draft. Um, and sort of Van Jefferson is obviously not quite as good. He's more of sort of a rotational piece, but again, if he's there in in, in day three, that would be you know, very good value as well. Um, yeah, Shane Lemieux again at guard. I think he would be be interesting. And then there's also the likes of um, Hakeem Adneji and Matt Pert, who like I understand they're more like more of a risk, but they're also they have the upside that's you know would usually get you drafted in, in on the second day. Um, and then you know James Lynch, um, Raycon Williams, the the Michigan State defensive linesman. I think he's he's much better um, than his draft stock seems to suggest. And then you know Tushka Wilson is uh, I think the guy who I'd probably pound the drum. Apart from Brian Edwards, Wilson's probably the guy I would like the most who who's sort of potentially going to be there on day three. I think, you know, both Edwards and Wilson, if they are there on day three, they're not going to be there for very long on day three. But but they're both, you know, I think legitimate starting players right away um, at important positions. And if you get that on day three, you're, you're ecstatic. And then, yeah, the, the sort of the DBs I mentioned. So Dane Jackson and Thakarius Keys would be the other sort of players who, you know, Keys, I can understand why he's sort of seen as a late round option. Like he does need quite a lot of work, but... There, yeah, there are there are a number of, of players who I think I would be quite happy with the Panthers drafting anywhere after the, the, the sort of third round. Yeah, I think you said on a previous episode about when you get to day three, it's it's take a punt, isn't it? You know, um, have have a gamble on someone because, and like you said earlier, the the success rate of these players is so low, you may as well go on a, on for a gamble because actually if they do come good you've had a huge result, whereas actually they're, they're not really expected to, to make it anyway. Yeah, I, I do think there are there are players who, I mean, so the thing with day three is it kind of, it falls into very different categories. So 
there will be players there who are like legitimately good prospects who just some reason have fallen. Um, there will also be players who are who are just like massive swings, but but if you hit, it's great. And then there are occasionally, I mean, it, it's quite a, a sort of a, a small group, but the kind of can be useful pieces, but are never going to be like key starters. So like you know, James Lynch is kind of an example of that, who I think has limitations. Like he's never going to be the complete defensive tackle, I don't think, but can be a really useful part of a of a, a team as like a rotational piece. You know, he's technically well rounded, all that kind of stuff. It just is never going to be the star. So there are kind of multiple ways you can go on day three, but I certainly think the playing it safe on day three very rarely works well. I'll put it that way. Cool. Now we touched on um, UDFAs briefly. That that just about wraps up day three. So let's talk about UDFAs then. Um, we've said this as well on, on a previous show that surely, given given the number of bodies we we currently have on the roster and and be it camp or virtual camp or whatever it ends up being is 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 looming um you're thinking that our strategy here should be to go quite big and, and quite heavy into udfas yeah and I, mean, I, I mean personally i would suggest doing that most years if i'm honest I, I think that teams at least the panthers historically i think have have undervalued the importance of being really aggressive at, uh, in terms of trying to get udfas and, and obviously the majority of them won't work out but the the risk is really, really low for UDFAs and the reward can be reasonable. So, you know, if you, you know, the Panthers obviously have to sign probably quite a few to fill out their roster, but if you sign 20 UDFAs and three of them work out, well, that's basically three players you've got for nothing. You know, you obviously have to give away sort of some some guaranteed money in terms of a signing bonus, but you'd have to do that for a free agent to fill out the 90-man roster anyway. So I think it, it's it's really a, a, a very easy way a very low risk way to, to add talent. So I, I think the Panthers should be really aggressive. But again, it's a bit like late round draft picks. There's no point just playing it safe. Like somebody who like, well, he'd be a good camp body, but there's no way he makes a roster. That's maybe not the approach to take for for for, for UDFAs. And obviously you do need some camp body, so you can't take this approach for everybody. But 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 I think trying to find guys who you think have a chance to make the roster, even it, you know, or have a chance to be a useful player, even if you think there's a a, a higher chance they're they're terrible. You'd much rather take the the 10% chance of being a, a starter with 90% bust rate than the 0% chance of being a contributing player, but but 100% chance of being you know able to play at a, a competent level in training camp. So I, I think it's about taking appropriate risks, but but you have to take some risks. And and how do you think um, the the you know, the global situation we're in at the moment is is going to to hinder this? Um, clearly getting into touch with udfas and getting them in to see you it is going to be made a lot more challenging so uh, do we think we're, we're going to see a slower sort of announcement of, of teams signing udfas as the process is a little bit longer than the normal yeah i, I think that's, that, that's certainly possible i think there's also going to be the bit where it again the, the teams that are competent are going to be at a massive advantage so what what normally happens is that basically after the draft teams just basically make a list of the players they want each position group there's some you if you've got X running backs on your training camp roster currently, you know, maybe there are, there are some examples where obviously they're just highlighting particular players they want to get in and they're willing to cut someone to make space for because they think they should have been drafted. But in a lot of cases, it's basically going like, well, we've got three running backs in our roster. We need five for training camp, so we need to add two running backs. Here are our top running backs. Running backs coaches, go phone them. Um, and they go and do that. Um, but the issue is then is that you've only got so much money, obviously. So one, you're trying to make phone calls to multiple guys at the same time. And you're basically trying to get all the players you need 
for the money that you've got available in terms of signing bonuses um, in particular. And, and that requires quite a lot of organisation and like a, a constant updating of, of who you've already got signed and who you haven't and what money you've signed them for. Because you kind of that then adjust the amount of money you've got left to sign the other. So if you want to sign three running backs, if you've got you know a certain amount of money, if you spent three quarters of it on getting your first guy, that means you have to be sort of basement shopping, you know, bargain basement shopping for the other two. So, you know, these kind of things require constant information updates for the people doing it. And that's going to be quite hard doing it remotely because you can't just have it all written up on a whiteboard in front of you. Um, so, yeah, again, teams that are better set up in terms of technology and, and and all that kind of stuff will be an advantage. And you'd hope the Panthers would be in that given Tepper sort of funding and and his, his you know, clear enthusiasm for being sort of at the cutting edge of, of what's going on. But there are definitely going to be teams who are really scrabbling to organise what's going on and either end up, you know, spending too much money or end up with, you know, very, very limited options at certain positions come training camp. So, yeah, I think it will be, again, this is going to be a draft where the competent teams are overruled compared to the incompetent teams, which will be, you know, <laughs> in some ways it's hard to say that's going to be a bad thing, but it will be interesting to see whether some teams um, end up with absolute rubbish in terms of what they can get in UDFAs but have loads of cap because they couldn't get themselves organised in time and whether there are teams that end up overspending on UDFAs and end up having to cut some veteran to save a bit of cap space because they, they gave too much guaranteed money to their UDFAs Yeah I mean it's it sounds like um, a bit of a minefield for the teams I mean more so than usual let's be honest it's, the draft process is, is always difficult enough as it is um, but with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's, it's certainly not going to make life any easier for them. Um, so that just about wraps us up then for uh, for this week. Um, do check out the right report uh, in, in the coming days as we lead up to the draft and after the draft for plenty more content around the draft, who the Panthers draft and, and some analysis of them. Um, please obviously do subscribe, like, comment, uh, review and all that good stuff wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Royal Riot UK. Uh, Vincent, where can people get in touch with you? I am at V Richardson 444. Great. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for me uh, this series. Uh, but Vincent will be back for one final show with uh, Dan Crezzo uh, after the draft to review what the Panthers did uh, with a bit more of a, a forensic look at, at the tape for the 2020 rookies and to give people a bit more of an idea of what to expect from our new players. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as I have enjoyed recording them. Uh, But do join Vincent and Dan next week for the final episode in the series of The Great British Draft. Goodbye.